0: You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the
1: raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I just wanted to share with you a few words from our sponsor, Design Crowd. Now, if you haven't heard of DesignCrowd, they are an amazing online marketplace that helps businesses outsource their graphics, logos, and web designs with access to over 500,000 designers around the world. And the cool thing is, within a few hours of submitting your design requirements, you'll receive 50 to 100 plus designs from designers around the world, so you have the best chance to pick that perfect design for you. You know, I personally love this option because I use it in my business ventures and projects because it saves me on a few major things in life, such as time, Uh, energy and also the headache of going back and forth with designers. You know the great thing about DesignCrowd is it's affordable, it's scalable without you even needing an in-house design team which I absolutely love and it's that flexibility of going to it whenever you need. So the good folks at DesignCrowd are kind enough to offer you as an exclusive addicted to success listener the VIP custom design upgrade pack which will save you over $100 on a deluxe project for any type of custom design including logos, business cards, websites, flyers, and emails. So head over to designcrowd.com slash success, and the promo code is success. That's S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Okay, now let's get into this interview.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and today we have the motivational speaker, incredible author, and all-around out of this world, dude, I actually had the opportunity to meet him at Bulletproof Cafe last week. We just bumped into each other, and we've been meaning to meet each other for
2: so long. This is Cute Blackson. Cute. What's up, Welcome, bro? It's good to be here, man. Destiny collided us in, that <laughs> moment. in a moment of coffee. Even though That's I didn't right. have any coffee, Destiny brought us together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not just any coffee, man. Bulletproof coffee. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's awesome to... Uh, Be in a space, you know, at the moment, you know, you and I are millennials and we have a lot of these millennial thought leaders uh, coming up right now. And it it seems a lot of people in this space around our age group are really putting their books out now and they're moving to that next level. And so I've noticed that you've been putting you know, a number of videos out. Um, You're actually in the Rise Up film uh, with me that's coming out later this year. And a lot of people been talking, a lot of people being saying, you know, Cute Blackson, you got to check him out. You know, he's a great speaker yeah. and so on. So, uh, it's great to see, uh, you know, see you in person, meet you in person. And I'm excited for your book, man. It's called "You Are the One," That's and real. I saw the trailer for it as well. If you haven't seen the trailer, go to cuteblackson.com. That's k u t e blackson.com. And the is awesome. Man. I love how it's like, the government's not going to help you and your best friends are going to help you and this isn't <laughs> going to help you. You are the one. You have to help yeah. yourself.
2: No so, one's coming. No <laughs> <that> one's
0: coming. <laughs> no one is coming. So, dude, basically what you're saying is um, you need to become self-reliant, right? Yeah. And so, how do we do this? How do we become more self-reliant so that we can shift our own self to that next level without having to rely on everybody else for us to yeah. make a change?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things that happened for me and the shift that happened was many years ago when I first moved to the U.S. I remember be, li- being in a tiny apartment, having no money, like literally stealing bread from a grocery store, which is pretty sad, you know, because I had nothing, like literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember being in my living room, it was, it was my whole house, which was you know, three, 400, that means 500 square feet, I and mean, it was tiny, and being mad at the world, being pissed off at God, being mad at my my father for not being there and being supportive and felt like no one had my back basically. And I remember being in my living room, just crying, just really crying and feeling, to be honest, feeling completely sorry for myself and feeling like God, oh, like if I did this meditation and if I did this mantra, if I did this prayer, if I was a good person, then like God owed me my dreams or my destiny. And, and I, and I realized I had this kind of entitlement Mentality. So I think one of the shifts that we have to make is giving up any sense of entitlement. And the shift that happened for me in that moment, but, you know, my book's about some of my journeys to India, but the shift that happened for me was this idea of, like, no one owes you anything. Mm-hmm. And when I really took on that paradigm, like, God doesn't owe me anything. You know, well, why doesn't God owe me anything? Because we've been given everything. We've been given hands and ears and eyes and so much potential. We are being lived and breathed in this moment by the same force that ignited creation. I mean, we've been given so much within us, so much resources. What else do we want? You know, and I looked at, <laughs> I was mad at my father. It's like, well, he owes me a phone call. He owes me this. He owes me money. He, it's like, the reality is he gave me life. What, what else do I want? He gave me life. and if that's all he gave me, that I mean he gave me way more than that. but it's it's like enough and I saw how entitled I was and how incredibly ungrateful I was for yeah. everything that I that I already am yeah. and everything that I had. So that shift happened when I realized that, there was an awakening. There was an opening. There was a, a reclaiming of my power. There was a profound opening and awakening to gratitude. And we hear about gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. But what I also saw was my ego. It was a very spiritual moment, Joe. It was like my ego was resisting full gratitude, living in the totality of of gratitude, because it was almost as though my ego wanted to create this separate sense of self from life, because if I was to really be in gratitude for existence, for what's living and breathing me and us all, it, it's almost like I would have to surrender to the process of life, to surrender mm-hmm. to what is living, which which would sort of end this sense of, uh, like, Meanness, you know, separation, and it was a profound moment. So, uh, giving up entitlement—no one, no one's going to to do it for you. No one owes you anything. It was a real, real freedom, and it, and it, it allowed me to reclaim my power. And when I went to to India, which I write about in the book a lot, when I went to India, I spent time in the slums. You know, I know you've been, you know, different parts of the world, and you, yeah. you see people who have nothing. And I spent time. In the slums of India with some people that became friends and living in eight by 10 rooms. And I saw that these folks had nothing. I remember being with my friend Vijay in a tiny room, bro. And it was him, his wife, his two kids, his, his, his parents. And there they were in this room. And they looked so happy. And I was so miserable. <laughs> and, I, and I asked Vijay, are you happy? And he looked at me like I was completely crazy. Like, what do you mean? Of, co- of co- Like, how can we not be happy? We have so much. We have everything. And I, and I realized, wow, if, if, if this guy can can have that feeling of gratitude in the midst of that, then how rich am I? How much do I have? So that, that shifted a lot. So wow. that, that giving up of entitlement was a huge paradigm shift for me and, and, and something I would say, let's begin there, you know, because yeah. it moves you into gratitude and abundance.
0: Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, uh, I think Tony Robbins says it best. He says that, you know, the the quality of our life is in direct proportion with where we live emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you're you're choosing. Every moment we get to choose, we have a choice, right? So you are choosing to not be grateful, to not appreciate what you actually had. And so yeah. I, I just want to take it back because I love that you shared that how you were in the living room. in L- I mean, I understand why you probably be like <laughs> struggling a bit or, or, or having uh, problems with bills and that because the prices in LA just keep going up. I get that. <laughs> so for rent and that, it's, it's crazy. It's just going to keep going. I speak to a lot of people out here and they, I mean, I'm okay, but it's like just to hear their stories, like, wow, okay, yeah. um, I get it. But just take us right back to that point. Like, how did you become conscious in that moment? What was it that was, I know that everything is based mm-hmm. off like a decision. You you made a, yeah. a decision in that moment that you've had enough. Like, was it just yeah. that you
2: looked at the pain and you're like, that's it? Yeah, I, I, I was in so much pain. I was, I was in pain and I was crying and there I was just like wrapped up in, like, here's the key thing, wrapped up in myself. Uh-huh. And, I re- and I realized that I was in so much pain and, and, and all I was really thinking about, bro, was myself and my need and my dream and what can I get and my bank account and my this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I realized I was just totally obsessed with myself and maybe, you know, rationally rightly so because I didn't have anything so I kind of needed to be. But yeah. I, I looked at that as, as like, wow, maybe that's part of the reason I'm in such suffering. You know, and then I'd go to India, like not shortly after I went to India and I, and, and I saw a man who literally had no arms, you know, no, was blind. Had, I write about this in the book, no, no, blind, no arms, no legs. And he was singing, like singing his heart wow. out, just singing in gratitude for life. And I watched this man for like eight hours a day for like a week and just wept because this guy who had n- seemingly nothing mm. was in ecstasy. And it, okay. and, and it was so clear that his focus wasn't fixated on himself. He wasn't in a state of selfing, contraction, self-obsession. And I saw that part of what creates suffering is our own self-obsession. And, mm-hmm. and I saw that, you know, and I started seeing my own obsessive mind, my own assess- uh, focus on myself. And as as I started to see that, I started to, started to shift that focus outwards to more and more to being of service, more and more to... How can I make a difference? More, Less on myself and then things start shifting. But it was a deep recognition in that moment of the pain and my focus obsessed with myself that was that was creating my pain and suffering.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. You know, I think that uh, it should be mandatory for people, especially in a, in a space of like self-development or a, any space where it's like you want to become a leader in some way, you want to lead to actually go to a third world country and experience that. If you want to be somebody that stands up front and says, it is about gratitude, it's about appreciation and so on. I think it definitely should be mandatory.
2: For sure. I've learned so
0: much from third world countries, man. Just my experiences in, uh, well, even like Bali, Indonesia, this 90 year old woman cutting rice, carrying rice on her head and she had no shoes on and she was like hopping and skipping her way down the road, you know, because she was, she was happy. She was yeah. working the ten-hour shift to feed her family, and it was home time. And she had done her work for the day. And mind you, these guys work like six,
2: seven days a week. Same yeah. thing in India. Yeah. So, uh,
0: yeah, non-
2: nonstop, yeah. nonstop. You know, and I see. Th- I think. I think in some of those cultures, you know, I think you're so right uh, in terms of you know anyone who wants to be a leader should go to a third world country. And, and I think in some of those cultures, because. To some degree, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of riches in some of those countries like India as well, but in some of those cultures where people are poor, where there is a lot of poverty, and and that's Mm. just kind of part of at least a level of existence. I think it focuses people when the material stuff isn't necessarily as readily available. You know, it focuses people's attention inside. Yes. You know, it forces us to. We don't have the luxury to distract ourselves with the, the, you know, thousand dollar phone or the bling or, or or whatever it might be that money yeah. can so called buy. Yeah. Because when you don't have that, where else do you go? You kind of have to start looking beyond either to your connection with the divine, mm-hmm. just to. Be able to deal with your current situation. You have to like find something more than your current situation. So it often drives, sometimes the poverty can drive people to a, look at India, you know, it's mm-hmm. such a spiritually focused country. People are driven to, to kind of find some faith and hope beyond their circumstance. And also because there's less distractions, I think it forces people to go inside yes. and, and find this a deeper source yes. you know, of, of their being. Yeah. Which is which is who we really are, and I think when we find that source of our being, we find a source of infinite happiness that's not dependent on any of this stuff uh, outside yeah
0: hell yeah hell yeah Q, you you sound very tuned in what uh what have you practiced over the last few years that you feel has really uh benefited you in your spiritual growth
2: mm. um <laughs> um honestly <laughs> <laughs> I love the question Uh, but I have to answer honestly Uh, I wouldn't even say it's the last few years bro it's been for me it's been a process of my whole life yeah and so I can't you know I don't want to mislead someone and say well I did did these couple of things for the last few years and here's where I am and and that just you know if you do this thing too you're going to be there honestly it's been a cultivation and process For many, 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 many years since I was a kid. You know, since I was a kid, I started meditating. My father's a healer. I grew up with a healer as a father. My first memories, and that all, you know, you talk about that's what affected me even to this point. My first memories as a young boy was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor, picking up the sand this man walked on, wiping on her face and standing up seeing blind people see, deaf people hear. So I grew up, talk about the cultivation. I grew up with that sense of possibility. I grew up with that sense that, you know, we live in a multidimensional universe. So that really kind of opened my perception and perspective in such a a profound way that's impacted me today that I have to look back and appreciate. You know, uh, age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. Fourteen, I was ordained as a minister. But I started reading books, and I look, even where I am today, I look back at some of the books I read when I was eight and twelve and fourteen, and you know, you talked about Tony Robbins. I uh, listened to the Power Talk when I was ten. So all of (laughs) all of that has been the fabric of Mm. the the, the, that has contributed to fertilizing the soil of my consciousness, Mm. you know. And and uh, more and more, it's been, you know. Yes, I meditate. You know, I pray, I meditate. You know, I spend time in nature. But I think for me, one thing that is that I love, because when we talk about well, what is spirituality? One thing I love is, is I just see, I I really seek to practice in everyday life, just the living of being my word. You know, to me, that's that's something I practice that makes a difference. Living in integrity. You know, simple things, but to me, that's a sign of of like. Where I'm at now in terms of my the simplicity of my practice, can I be my word? Can I live in the integrity? Can I do what I say? Can I show up? Can I simply love the person that's in front of me? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can do all these mantras and levitate, and you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, or get to higher levels of consciousness and kundalini and what have you. But look, can I just can I just show what's So my practice more and more? Is the sim- the simplicity of can I can I just love this person in front of me? Can I be kind? It's not complicated, but I think many of us, we don't do those things just as a daily reality. And I think that when we do that, then we get to my path has been how can I integrate spirituality into the daily nitty gritty of my everyday life? No separation between divine and regular living, sacred and profane, you know, like maybe how can I make going to the toilet as, as, as spiritual as going to the temple? you know oh, yeah. and and and, the, and and finding that integration between spiritual and worldly so that's been really a part of my path to embrace mm-hmm. every moment as a spiritual moment to embrace life itself as a as a temple you know as a temple yeah. without walls you know so that that's been a, it's been my practice man the life practice
0: Wow. A temple without walls. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's deep, man. You're going deep now. I love it.
2: I love it. You know, it. You know, you know w- w- where it really hit me, just to, just to kind of, you just trigger something, the temple without walls, where I really learned that was when I was in India, I spent, the first time I was in India, I shaved my head, you know, had a backpack, had these visions of being like Mother Teresa. I mean, no, no, <laughs> no ego in that, right? I was like, I wanted to be Mother Teresa. <laughs> and, uh,
0: big ambitions, man.
2: <laughs> big ambitions. So, so I, I spent time with one of my mentors. He was 80 years old at the time, and uh, 82 actually. And he was a, the, the, the oldest living disciple of Gandhi. He's like 92, 94 now in that zone. An amazing, amazing human oh, wow. being. He built like uh, 300 orphanages in in India, does the largest eye camp in India. I mean, takes the poorest of the poorest kids. And I remember like spending two weeks with these kids, bro, and it literally killed me. I was ready to like give up the (laughs) idea of trying to help anyone after that, spending time with these kids who, you know, he found living in trash heaps with Cats and dogs and 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 trash, you know. So these kids weren't very social. So they didn't really they didn't really appreciate my service, you know. So my ego was totally triggered. I didn't realize it at the time. And after two weeks, I had literally given up. And I said to him, his name was Dwarkoji. I said, Dwarkoji, I'm going to go to meditate by the Bodhi tree. He, his, his ashram is right where the Buddha got enlightened. So I was going to go meditate by the Bodhi tree. And he looks at me with such compassion. And he says to me, it's beautiful that you go meditate by the Bodhi tree where the Buddha got enlightened by the statue of the Buddha. But just make sure that your heart doesn't turn to stone. It's like, whoa. Wow. Because, because right here in this orphanage, yeah. these children here in front of you are living Buddhas, living Buddhas, living Christ, just waiting to be worshipped, loved, and served. Yeah. It was like the moment my life changed in that moment. And I realized, wow, talk about the living temple. Like every moment is is that sacred opportunity, you know?
0: That is wild. That is wild, man. It's like you don't even need to go <coughs> and sit under a tree for that, man. You know how many people I speak to that are like, I'm going to this mountain for this or I'm going to that place for that and this place to be in life. It's like... Man, there's opportunities all around you. I had somebody recently tell me that, like, you know, they feel like they're living in the dark and they're living in, you know, there's, they they just don't can't see the light. And so on and it's like, there's light everywhere. When my yeah. friend says you create the tunnel, you know, mm-hmm. in your life when it comes mm-hmm. to pain, when it comes to suffering, like, what you get to choose every day, um, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, there's so many beautiful things around us that we can learn from over and over. Uh, Joe Dispenza, he's incredible. I interviewed him uh, quite a while back, and he said. Maybe the problem is that we are just poor observers.
2: Mm.
0: We're so like into just checking out this and checking out that and overanalyzing. And it's like sit back for once and just sit and chill and see it for what it is and watch yeah. the actions <laughs> Yeah, and be still, you know. And, um, and, yeah. and that's awesome, man, that you had that experience and you're sharing that with us now. That's uh, that's great, man. Getting the exclusives, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. So, so let's let's jump into the book real quick, too. Um, you know, this is about your your latest uh, you know, gift that you're offering the world, man. It's uh, a book is is a real deal. I know you said that you, you had worked on it for eight years, ten years, and it's the book yep. that wasn't <laughs> that the the book from ten year ago ten years ago. It's the book now is like something new, so. Um, yeah. just, uh, just share with us, you know, what does the book really mean to you and what should it mean for everybody else that picks it up?
2: I mean, for me, the book is an expression of my heart and soul. I always knew I would write a book uh, when I first read my first self help book when I was age eight by a woman called Shekta Gawain. Creative Visualization changed my life. So I felt the power of, of, of the word, I felt the power of a message. So I always felt a deep calling to spread a message of love and inspiration, uh, a, call, uh, a book that would help people reclaim their power, a book that would help people create authentically, a book that would help people ultimately discover who they really are. Because what I found is, yeah, you can help people get what they want, but many times people will get what they want, but it's when they get it, they realize this isn't what I want. So we can get what we want based on who we think we are, but if we're not in touch with who we are, then what we want is going to be a little off. So, so for me, the foundation is really helping people connect to who they are and who we are is not just this body not just this conditioned form, not just what we identify ourselves as in terms of our stories, our past, our programming. What we are is infinite. What we are is soul. What we are is consciousness. Pure consciousness manifesting as this amazing work of art called Joel, called Coot, you know, called 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 whatever, you know, uh, Bernie, Hillary, Preston, Alexi, Christine. I mean, the list goes on. You know, Tony, Joe Dispenza. I mean, it's just... We're all works of art, so I think part of my message in the book is to help people remember and get people to question, who are you really? And from that, if you as you realize that what you are is consciousness, then <clears throat> then the whole game shifts from <clears throat> what can I get, what can I do, what do I want to, what wants me, what wants to express through me, what wants to be given birth through me, and then part of our, you could say, you know, role in life becomes simply surrendering, getting ourselves out of the way and allowing ourselves to be fully used. Because I think when we can go beyond the mind and go beyond the thoughts and go beyond this identified form, we tap into an infinite realm of pure potential. And that pure potential is what's seeking to manifest through us. You know, so I believe we don't you know part of the book is learning that we don't have to make our lives happen. We don't have to manifest. We just have to get ourselves out the way. And that's where we access a zone of miracles where people like Gandhi and Jesus and Buddha and Mother Teresa and Bruce Lee and Bob Marley and Muhammad Ali and, you know, the list goes on. These greats lived in that zone beyond themselves. So uh, that's what's exciting for me in terms of helping people live that greatness. I mean, everyone wants to be great, but I think uh, not everyone truly fulfills that potential because we get conditioned. You know, we get conditioned into believing we are this form. As we're born as children, uh, we're born free. You know, we're born in touch with you. You look at a child. A child will jump on a table and sing and dance naked. It doesn't wonder, hey, Joel, my fat, what, what do you think of my arms? <laughs> or, Is it really good? It was just like sing and just come up to you, it doesn't care that yes. you're tall, that you're short, that you're black, white. It's just a free-flowing expression of love. But as we, you know, as we're born, we meet our parents, sometimes they're, interesting and have their own challenges and society and media and slowly as children we get conditioned we get conditioned and we learn all sorts of ways to disconnect and not feel you know and, and to not feel the pain of abandonment trauma you know our parents not neglecting us whatever our story is we learn a way to not feel and those layers start building up but we also learn a way of how to be in the world in terms of who do I need to be in order for you to to love me so we start developing a whole mask and a persona. So we start, we, we get conditioned thinking that's who we are. So part of this book is a is a bold invitation and question that says, well, maybe who you are is not who you think you are. And if that's the case, who are you really? Wow. And, and opens that portal for people in a simple way to uncondition, to not even like, teach yes you will learn stuff but not to just teach you stuff but to unteach you to uncondition you to uncoach you to untrain you so that you can peel back the layers that you've built up and just connect with the true essence of what you are have always been and will always be yeah wow
0: yeah dude that 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 sits with me so deep i I feel like so many people and and this is uh what I get from a lot of people that I coach, you know, one-on-ones and and also in my mastermind group and so on. And people that I come across in everyday life is they're like, they're hitting an expiry date. They really are. They're not keeping it fresh. They're not, they're they're staying in the same place and they're feeling frustration all the time. And frustration Mm -hmm. is your purpose is trying to get out of you. You're Mm -hmm. holding it back. You're standing in your own way. You're not allowing your purpose to be released and be unfolded. So, i i can't wait to read more about all this in your book too because it's like this subject just excites me so much man i feel like this is like really the key to to why we're here it's like two of the most important questions who am i and why am i here it's mm-hmm. like most people can't answer that they mm-hmm. really can't so, mm-hmm. so getting clear on it through your book, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to learn more. Man, you, just, you just
2: triggered a thought, brother. You know, you said that sometimes we get stuck. I was, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I was just remembering the Bob Marley song. You know, you have to emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Well, you know, it's almost like we've become constipated. So you have to unconstipate <laughs> un- yourself. You know, so you got that to cleanse,
0: man. You got so to, you to have, cleanse.
2: You have a consciousness cleanse so that so that soul so that spirit so that life can just flow through you Uh you uh-huh effortlessly gracefully, magically you know yeah that's beautiful man that is so
0: beautiful uh another point as well that i wanted to touch on with you because i noticed before you were talking about um like who is this in front of me like how (laughs) can i serve better how can i contribute how can i give more Uh, i i believe that it's harder, it's more challenging to give more if you don't know what you actually have to give. And so part of knowing what you have to give is, is self-love, is loving yourself. Yeah. I know that you work with a number of people on the whole uh, topic of self-love. So just, just give us a, a tidbit on what we can expect from the book in the way of self-love and the importance yeah. of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think self-love is the foundation of all love. You know, and as when and and I think as we get conditioned and programmed with all the stories and the layers and the thoughts and the judgments, we start identifying and believing we are those layers. You know, we are those yeah. stories. We are all of that sort of clothing that we've brought up. And then what we start doing is we start relating to that that persona as ourselves, and and then we start judging that. So what we're judging itself isn't even real huh. you know what we're judging yeah is itself not reality we're judging an illusion but we've forgotten it's an illusion because we become so identified with that illusion and then that keeps us that keeps us reinforced in the illusory perception of me mm. so i think part of waking up is realizing that and as we as we start questioning ourselves with love as we start questioning who we are like is this true is this who i really am You know, where did I get that? We start feeling some of those feelings that we haven't felt and we start letting stuff go. We start connecting to, You talk about self-love, we start connecting to the deeper dimension of ourselves. And I feel like When we're not in touch with who we really are, we seek love outside to try and get that sense of love outside from friends and relationships and romantic partners and fame and money and all these things outside, but they're never really fulfilling. But I think as we really start connecting with who we are, like at the depth of our core, at the real level of self, what we start to feel as we let the layers go is that what we are essentially is love, the self the real self with a capital S, not the ego little self, you know, that's always in competition and fear and separation is love. It, 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 like what we are is love, you know, and okay. I think that's that's where for me the game shifts and that's a process, that's a cultivation. But the focus has to shift as we start connecting deeper with with who we really are. And then at that level, we realize there's no separation mm. between me and you. Yeah. between me and the person down the street. There's no separation. We're at that level, we're all one. And if, if I know who I am and you know who you are, how can there not be love? How can there not be love? You know, mm-hmm. Because at that deepest level, there's only the self. There's only one of us here. There's only love that is present. So, mm-hmm. so that's one level of things. And I think when we realize that, uh, and we realize that we, are, we have been created by consciousness, by the divine, by the infinite, whatever intelligence is creating all of existence, we are, we are a manifestation of love and we are sort of divine art. So how can we not love ourselves? You know, how can we not love what we are? We are are, and it, to me, it's not about one of the things that stops us from loving ourselves is we have this idea, this ego idea that we have to be like perfect human beings. You know, like we have to be these perfect human beings that never feel sad, never feel angry, never feel, never have off days, never contract. But as human beings, there's no there's no perfection at the level of the person, the, the personality. You know, and I think if we're looking for perfection at the level of personality, we'll never find perfection there. We're imperfectly perfect. And I think the more we can start to bring compassion and love those parts of ourselves that we deem wrong or deem bad or judge as imperfect, then we can bring ourselves into a whole different relationship with ourselves and loving ourselves just as we are. Even loving the part of us that is unable to love ourselves. Mm. Because sometimes you think, well, when I love myself, then if we can't love ourselves and we find ourselves not able to love ourselves, can we love the fact that we can't love ourselves. And that creates a whole different relationship with ourselves, a whole different space for us to hold ourselves. That is where the real healing happens. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that? I love, love that you shared that too, cute. Thank you. Uh, what's interesting about that is that love is infinite. So like we always have more room to grow, to, yeah. to, to have more love, to give more love. It's, it's, it's fun, man. It's a fun project in life. to <laughs> get to, uh, <laughs> Focus on whatever we want. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's cool, man. That's cool. So, you said that uh, your father is a
1: pastor, right?
2: Yeah. My father is a very unique guy. Uh, right. a, you know, I was really – him and I weren't the closest, you know, in terms of human level, but on the soul level, we were very close. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of who I am and just my soul essence has been impacted by him in a beautiful way. And yeah, he's a, he's a healer. He's a teacher. He was, uh, he is still alive. He's a minister, built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, um, at his height, close to a million followers, um, a million people in his congregation probably has a few hundred thousand now. Uh, I built one church in London where I grew up and it was a real unique, You know, man, you look at people today like Michael Beckwith and, you know, New Thought Teachers, pre-Beckwith and before all of the secret and before this movement, there was a whole generation of ministers in the U.S., people like Reverend Ike and Johnny Coleman and um, Emmett Emmett Fox and, you know, Unity, uh, Charles Fillmore. So my father was sort of part of that generation and uh, was a beautiful man, beautiful man. But he had, you know, what I realized is he had... You know, being a human being, he had a vision for my life and what my life should be. He wanted me to take over. So when I was fourteen, he announced to the entire congregation, "Bro, that my son's taking over the church." Oh, and looked, wow! And and I turned around and looked at my mother on the stage, going, "I am. I, I, I guess I am. I guess this is my life." You know, because I wanted to make a difference, but uh-huh. I, I guess I wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it didn't really feel right. So what I realized was this. No shortage of people that will tell you who you should be. There's no shortage of people that will have expectations for your life. And uh, if we're not clear on who we are and what we want, uh, it's so easy to live someone else's life. It's so easy to become who someone else wants us to be. And uh, I had to really acknowledge it was really tough because I had to look at the fact that in terms of, I had to tell myself the truth. And the truth was, this is not the life I wanted. This isn't the life that my soul wanted, and it was terrifying because I love my father. And I felt if I had told the truth to my father, we wouldn't have a relationship. We wouldn't speak. And uh, so it took me, as a young man, took me about four years to muster up the courage to tell myself the truth and to tell him the truth. And I think one of the things that keeps us stuck, what I've seen working with clients around the world, is what keeps us stuck is all the ways we don't tell ourselves the truth. All the ways we BS ourselves, all the ways we lie to ourselves, all the way we play this game, like the game of, like, well, Joel, I, I don't really know what my, I don't really know if this relationship is right for me. I don't really know what I should be doing with my, life. I don't really, I'm confused. BS, we're not confused. There is a deeper knowing, but sometimes there's a fear inside of us that if I, uh oh, if I really own my truth, then What would the consequences be? And we're afraid of that. So we lie to ourselves as an unconscious protection mechanism. So I think one thing to really shift our lives is to be willing to tell ourselves the radical, honest truth. Even if we don't do anything about it. Even if we're just going to stay where we are. I know the truth. This isn't working for me. I'm going to keep doing it because I'm too afraid. But if we tell ourselves the truth, it begins the process uh, the inner movement inside of us, where we can't go back. So I, I had to tell myself, my father, the truth. I had to tell myself the truth, and it was uh, transformational. It was difficult. We didn't speak for a couple of years. Uh, it was very challenging. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you think, oh, the the the, the romance, the romance novel of you know, you speak the truth and everything is hunky dory, and it's but like not always. <laughs> not always. You know, it was it was very challenging, and uh, but I felt that. I feel as though when we speak the truth, ultimately the truth serves everyone, even though it doesn't seem that way at first. And uh, I had to put a lot of faith and trust in what I felt in my soul, that the reality of my soul was more than the reality of the world because I felt guided. You know, I didn't have any proof. I felt guided. And, and I made a prayer one day, John. I said, God, if, if, if the vision I have is real. If the calling I have is real to help people and come to America and do it differently than my father, then show me, show me the way. And literally days later, someone had in the a magazine. I looked in the back of the magazine. It was The Economist. I looked in the back of the magazine. It said the American government's giving me 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And cut a long story short, I won a lottery. <laughs> I won a green card in the lottery, literally, right. to come to the U.S. And that was that was a sign that... For me, a reinforcement that when I follow my soul and I'm not willing to compromise myself and compromise my soul, because I feel we often, so often, compromise, you know. Uh, But when I don't, then I'm in alignment. And it may not be easy. I may, I wanted to give up many times, but there was a deeper underlying peace in my heart. And that's why I felt the universe working on my behalf.
0: Wow. Dude, that was a big flashing neon sign. (laughs) <laughs> that is so crazy that's cool man hey i want to win a, a green card in the lottery <laughs> yes, yes, yes. thank that's- you so much for sharing that man I, I was looking for like you know oh what lesson did your father teach you uh and you basically shared a story where we can all pull multiple lessons from so yeah. thank you for sharing that man thanks for sharing yeah. your truth it's yeah. beautiful
2: yeah. excellent so cute uh where can we pick up your book Well, you can – everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Uh, But Amazon. But one thing I want to invite everyone to go to, youaretheonebook.com. Youaretheonebook.com. You can buy the book there. Uh, It will link you to Amazon. But you can also – everyone will also receive like six amazing free gifts from videos and meditations and audios and trainings. And I'm giving giving away everything, Uh, all the good stuff that you can kind of – get access to and be inspired by and just want to, you know, add value to people's lives and and pray and hope and intend that this book, uh, just inspires people beyond to infinity.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Just like love, man. Hey, you know what? I did see you were getting real generous there with the, uh, the gifts as well that come along with the book. You got the online series and the tickets and, uh, the exclusive interviews and all that as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, give it away. Good on you, man. Good on you for for packing it with value instead of just making it. We were talking about this before, just how some people uh, don't even write their own books, or they, they they don't they write it to make a bunch of money and so on. So it's it's really yeah. cool that you know this has been a long project for you uh, that is worth worthwhile and, and really uh, you, you're bringing the best to the table. So um, yeah. you know I, I had a skim through your book and and checked out a couple of chapters, and I just can't wait to deep dive and squeeze the juice out of it. Cause I know it's a, it's a juicy book. So, uh, thank you, man. Thank you.
2: Awesome, bro. It's been great that. hanging with you, man. Feel your heart. Appreciate you. And, uh, you fell in love at Bulletproof forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: it, mate. That's it. So look, man, we always end the interviews with this, uh, one last question. And the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech, uh, to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Like you're, parting words of
2: wisdom depending on when that moment would be and depending on which day uh, in this moment something I say a lot is coming to mind and I would just I would just simply ask a question and I would ask everyone to sit with the question what if today was the last day of your life you know what if today was the last day of your life would you be ready would you be ready are you ready to die to throw your arms wide open and say yes and if not why not what do you need to say? What do you need to, who do you need to express to? Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to do so that you are ready? Because the reality is none of us know when that moment will come. You know, the people in 9-11, the people in just a few days ago, Orlando, the people in, you know, the Southeast Asian tsunami, earthquakes, none of us know, none of us, you know, know we won't come home that night and be able to look our loved ones in the eyes and say, I really love you. Or I'm sorry, or forgive me, or whatever we want to say. So I believe that life owes us nothing. You know, the next breath is not not guaranteed. It's not a right; it's a privilege that uh, we should love fully. You know, and give everything we've got to everything as everything because we are everything. And uh, life is a gift. You know, life is a gift. So love, love now, love deeply, love profoundly. Because at the end of, at the end of the day. That's really what matters, you know?